Lackey Siap, or Luke as he is known in the U.S., is a good friend of mine. He has, through the Department of Foreign Affairs program, Philpro, or Filipino Young Leaders Program, made the Philippines an important part of his plans for himself, despite being an American. Many of the initiatives he spearheads are for the purposes of brain gain, or bringing back talent to the Philippines to fight the pressures of brain drain on our OFW-driven economy. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Okay, sige Lucky. Uh, for the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? All right, oh, we're recording. Okay, hey, hi everybody. My name is uh, Lucky Luke Mangharam Siap. I, by ethnicity, I'm uh, Filipino, Chinese, and Indian. I was born and raised in Cebu City to an Indian mother who's uh, 100% Indian, but very much Cebuano, and a Filipino Chinese father. Um, yeah, and, uh, maybe yeah. you could tell us so, uh, maybe a bit about your education, a bit about what you do now currently. Yeah, sure. It's uh, so, like I mentioned, I was I was born and raised in Cebu, and my parents had a a school there called Arts Magnate. And what it was was a a performing arts school that used the arts to teach the academics. So it was a whole brain approach. They used, you know, the right brain to teach left brain concepts. And it was a just a very unique and over one of a kind school. And through that school, I got very involved and into theater and the performing arts. Um, from there, I got a scholarship. Uh, to a government high school called Philippine High School for the Arts in Los Banos Laguna. So if you're probably from a lot of people in the Philippines are probably familiar with PISAI, the Philippine Science School, high school. So there's also PHSA, the Philippine High School for the Arts. Um, it's actually, uh, you know, a government run high school and um, you have to audition and apply and, and go through some tests. And uh, long story short, this um, kid you know this spoiled privileged kid from Cebu ended up um, getting a four years uh, theater scholarship there but it was a very interesting experience so I left Cebu uh, when I was 12 to go to this school and it was you know a dormitory uh, and it was an interesting time because you're you know you're 12 years old and you're you uh, you know you're about to like become a teenager and you're about to hit puberty and you're just going through a lot of different things in life and at the same time, you're just on your own and and uh, le- just um, absorbing a lot more things and learning. But it was one of the best um, life-changing experiences. So from there, I um, I and when I got did, there, did you go to an artistic course afterwards, or what did you I, do with the uh, I really high wanted to do, I really wanted to do theater to and continue my theater, my passion for theater. Uh, but my mom being uh, having a master's in theater and having been through that route, you know, recommended, you know what, it's probably best to get a, a degree where you can have a good fallback on or a good backup plan. Right. Um, and, and so as much as I really wanted to do theater, I took the advice of my parents and um, did more of the stereotypical safe degree, which was took up nursing. Um, so we immigrated to the United States specifically in Chicago, Illinois, and I took up nursing. And while I was in nursing school, I still wanted to continue my passion. So I 
worked for a Filipino-American theater company here in Chicago called Circa Pintig. From, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No. Yeah, but then how do you, about this, you know, going this very stereotypical route, like I'm just wondering what kind of feelings does that invoke in you? Because, I mean, I'm not saying it's a beaten to death stereotype, but it's it's getting there, you know what I mean? Oh, I, I think it's already been beaten to death a long time. It's especially here in America where, you know, when they say Filipino, they're, you, they're always associate Filipinos with nurses. That's the number one thing. America associates Filipinos with. It's a very stereotypical uh, career for Filipinos. And when, especially when I was in high school, I always said, I'm ne- the one thing I'm not gonna, ever going to do is not become a nurse. I'm not going to go into nursing. And I ended up going for it. And it was a very, I'd say, what's the best way to put it? it the experience of going through nursing school was definitely challenging. But I definitely learned a lot about when it comes uh, resiliency and determination. Because I actually didn't actually failed nursing school like three times. I actually got kicked out of the program, not for anything mischievous, but more so for poor grades. I, just because of my my heart wasn't in it, I wasn't passionate about it. I was really doing it so that I could make my parents happy and just have a fall uh, a backup plan, a fallback plan. But did you, how did you balance that, you know, this, you know, admittedly, you, you did finish uh, nursing school. So, uh, and that, that's its own thing with, let's set that off to the side. How, what did, what did you do in your spare time while you were, while you were studying nursing? I worked for the, the Philippine American Theater Company called Circa Pintig. And so that's why I, I had my, I still was doing nursing, but I still needed that outlet from creativity. And then I also decided to take other jobs because here in the United States, usually when you're starting out, you might need to have multiple jobs just to be able to make ends meet. And so I worked at a Filipino restaurant for a while. And I also became a nightclub promoter and an events producer. And, and so it it was interesting because I was ma- wearing many different hats or I had a lot of different jobs while being in nursing school. And I feel like that was one of the reasons why I had actually not been able to focus on my studies because I started focusing a lot more on work or or more of the projects I was doing. Mm. But um, uh, if before we go into the, the work side of it, though, and the projects that you do, like I think a lot of my listeners are very interested to hear about the experience of uh, migrating to the U.S., especially at the age you did. You did it when you were uh, just before college age. So, uh, you know, generally, what kind of struggles did you experience when you went to America? What's interesting is that I I feel like I had a very different experience compared to a lot of people who immigrated to America because you're usually first generation or second generation. A lot of people who migrate to America either migrate when they're really, really young or when they're a lot older. I had migrated at a time where I was 17, and so I'm what you call a 1.5 generation Filipino American. I I understand a lot of the cultural nuances, the history, the language, and then, but yet I can also adapt to being American if I need to. Uh, mm. And then, 
but it was still it's still a culture shock for a lot of people you know they say it takes about two years to become fully adjusted and i i feel that's very accurate accurate the you know especially when you come from a place that's tropical and really really warm to a place like here in chicago that the you have four seasons and the weather changes all the time that's that's one of the big culture shocks as well as um trying to just more so understand the the american culture i had a lot of filipino friends though and i enjoyed surrounding myself not just with the filipino friends but with friends of different other nationalities so i could get to know them and their cultures as well mm. and that you're saying that 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 probably helped you with uh, adjusting to being in america that that played a part but i think the biggest thing that actually helped me adjust to being in america was my theater background and training in the philippines mm-hmm. um especially you know going to a school like philippine high school for the arts we had amazing teachers and instructors who taught us a lot about improv improvisation and and really knowing how to adapt very quickly and think out of the box and adapt to different types of people and um, different types of characters. Back in um, Philippine High School for the Arts, we called it Makiling because it was on Mount Makiling. Back in Makiling, we always had to do a lot of character studies where we ha- would study different characters and become these different characters. And I feel like the one takeaway, if you know, if I were to do this all over again, the one thing that I, has definitely helped me when it comes to my growth my transformation, my adaptability has been my theater training. Mm, okay. So you're essentially your bag of tricks is one of the tricks in the many bag in the many options that you have is to bullshit your way through a situation. <laughs> I, R- Roger, Roger that completely, <laughs> completely gotcha. It's, uh, it's not just about bullshitting, but it's really about just really knowing how to adapt uh, to people, to situations feeling out people's energies. I think I've been able to master the skill of knowing how to make friends with people very easily. And that all goes back through my theater training. Mm-hmm. And this, this uh, th- that helped you with America. So, uh, but let's, okay, now, now this is me segueing back to our previous topic of conversation. So after you finished your degree and, you know, this, your stint as a, a, a club promoter and working in a Filipino restaurant, uh, what, what kind, what kind of path did your life take after that point? So what was interesting was I ended up still continuing to do a lot of different things. I graduated with a nursing degree and I decided that working in the hospital was not what I wanted to do. I got a job with a corporate healthcare company doing business development. My job was to be a liaison between doctors and hospitals and our healthcare companies. It was essentially like a like a rep, but I I was a rep who needed to understand the nursing element to it. So it was a very good fit for me. I actually enjoyed it a lot and got paid fairly well. And so I did that for three years. And while I was doing that, I was still working at this Filipino restaurant. I enjoyed making a lot of friends with the customers and I enjoyed putting together marketing campaigns for that restaurants and doing events. 
And eventually I became a partner in that restaurant. And that mm. restaurant um, ended up doing pretty well. And um, from there, I got involved into different types of community work as well. Through my theater background, I got to be involved with many different Asian American organizations. And then I realized that a lot of these Asian organizations were disconnected or siloed, even within these specific communities. Take the Filipino community in the United States, for example. They, you know, America sees them as one community, but even within the Filipino community, they're very fragmented. You have the Cebuano group and the Ilocano group and the Kapampangan group, right? And it's it's not just one big community, especially when it comes to the the older generation. And so mm -hmm. I realized that there was a need to be able to try to bring these different communities together and also make sure that they had representation, that their stories were being told, that their events were being highlighted. But it wasn't happening, not just within the Filipino community, but the larger Asian American community in general. So I created a website called Chicago Asian Network, and it, um, it was really just a way for the community to upload all their events, news, stories. Long story short, it grew, it took a life of its own and grew into a multicultural marketing agency where we produced events, um, concerts, fundraisers uh, that brought together the community. So I was able to find uh, my niche and that's something that I've been doing now for over 10 years. Well, uh, uh, this is more of like a question on principles and not so much like specific to you. Uh, but this is an observation I make. Most people who are successful, and I would consider you successful, I would consider myself relatively successful as well. You know, they, it's really hard to say that you get there by doing any one thing, that you actually have to have many things that you do at the same time. Yeah. Like me personally, I'm a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I also have, I do business on the side and, you know, I do this podcast also because, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I want to be trying multiple things. And that's one of the ways to challenge myself, uh, for people our age and we are the same age. Uh, do you think that that's important? You know, that willingness to try on multiple different things at the same time? Absolutely. Yes. Because sometimes especially when you're trying to find everybody's talking about passion and purpose sometimes you don't know especially when you're when you're still when you just graduated college or you know you're still on your first job it's important to have different hobbies different projects volunteer for for different things as well because from in in my case right having this I I appreciate you thinking I'm successful, but I, I feel like I'm still far from where I need to be. But when I look back mm. at what I've accomplished, it wasn't one single thing that brought me to where I was. It was actually a lot of different little things when it came to volunteering for one project and then getting referred to do another project and then traveling to one place and um, and meeting people there. Right. It's. I never feel like it's 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 one thing. However, there's a catch to that as well. Once you're able to find that thing, I definitely think that you should spend a majority of that time 
once you've already tried a lot of different things, spend a good majority of that time working on improving your process or your system. I'll, I'll if I know that sounds confusing. Also, I'll give you an example, right? Me being a nurse, right? I, uh, I didn't necessarily enjoy nursing, but it, it was a means to an end. It provided me a great salary and I was able to live comfortably due to that. I wasn't necessarily passionate about it, right? What I was passionate, what I, through doing all these different things, I realized what makes me happy is working within the community, uh, doing marketing campaigns that's community focused for not the Filipino and the Asian American community. Because the one thing I've always seen is that Asian Americans lack representation in media, in politics, in, in corporate America, there's a lack of leadership. There's representation, but on a lower level, right? Like Filipinos, you see Filipinos who are nurses, right? But why do, why do we not see Filipinos who are executive directors of hospitals, right? Or why do we not, mm. or you'll see Filip, some Filipino accountants, but why do we not see many Filipinos who, who, who make partners at very large accounting firms? The same with, with lawyers, right? And, and, and so that I've realized has been like my purpose and how, how do I achieve that is through making sure that the Asian American community has a voice and gets represented now. So I, I know I'm, I'm going, I'm explaining this, um, I'm explaining this a lot longer than I should, but I'm trying to emphasize that. You know, I had to do a lot of different things, but now that I've already found my purpose, I'm focusing a lot more of my time on that compared to being a nurse. I actually don't work as a nurse anymore. I still keep my license active just as a backup in case I ever need to go back to the medical industry, but I actually haven't worked as a nurse probably in about eight years now, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, the the way I might articulate that, and I've articulated it like this before, is that you kind of have to be slutty with your dreams. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, have, just, you have to want to do... Look, look, think about it like this. Let me make it, let me dumb it down for you, right? Or for, <laughs> for, for the audience members. When you're choosing a wife, right, you just don't, nor, most people don't just have a girlfriend and marry that person right away, right? You have to date around a little bit, right? You have to figure out what do you like, what do you not like? Right? You have mm -hmm. to have fun. Right? Some people mm -hmm. will be, some people will, will date multiple women a, a, at one time. Right? But at the end, they can only marry one person. Mm -hmm. Or, well, depends on the, depends on what country and, and what religion. But the point is, like, like <laughs> I said. What are you trying yes. to say, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, you, you have to, you I feel like that's what your 20s are for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Your, yeah. your 20s, your, like your teens to your 20s, that's what it's about, right? Trying to figure out what it is you want to do in life, right? What are your goals, right? What are you passionate gotcha. about? Uh, if we can just uh, go back a little bit to something you mentioned earlier, you say that you, you a lot of your time goes towards organizing and organizing as a concept in the, is probably very foreign to the Filipino parlance. No, 
Like yeah. we generally don't, we don't really view civil society as anything in the government. Like we are aware that there might be groups that try to organize something, but it's now it's nowhere near as big in America. So maybe you could break down a little bit about why civil societies and organizing is important in America, right? So we can get a better understanding of it. Yeah. Well, why do people organize, right? The me, uh, at I feel like at the end of the day, it's it's for power, right? Or it's for, for my understanding, it's representation. But a lot of people organize for power, right? Whether it be politically right they'll organize to get somebody elected somebody in their party to be put into a position of power for me when i organize i want to make sure that people who look like me are on the are in the boardrooms are in the uh, are the decision makers people who look like me or come from my community being filipino american or being filipino um can actually be in positions of power to make sure for future generations of Filipinos that they have better opportunities and better access to resources, right? That resources mm -hmm. can be through funding, right? Education, um, uh, you know, building resources. It it and that's and America. If you you look at America, you know, some of the most successful people in America happen um, are the Jewish community, but they organize, they stick together, and they support one another, right? They have these very strong chambers of commerces. They have businesses where you see that they're so effective when it comes to organizing that they're able to put Jewish Americans into positions of power. And my goal eventually is to be able to get more Asian Americans into positions of power, just like what the Jewish community has done. Right? They're, the mm -hmm. Jewish community is actually a, a, a small community in America, yet a lot of them hold very strong positions of power. They're, they're directors of, you know, they're the, they're the financiers of Hollywood movies. They're CEOs of banks and corporations, they're, they're attorneys, they're lawyers, they're doctors, right? But you look at their community and you can, you can see that it's a very tightly organized community. They're, they're part of the Illuminati too, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, I'm kidding, no. Uh, but then, let me just ask this question. Would you agree that uh, on a general assessment, generally speaking, that civil society in America is very strong and that civil societies in the Philippines are very weak. And if you agree, uh, maybe you can offer your explanation as to why that is. Uh, well, I want to make sure that your definition of civil society is is the, the same as the definition here. Well, what do you, what is your definition of civil society? Well, uh, I would I would say in your in in the sense of that tradition of like people organizing, coming together, creating communities, and lobbying on behalf of their selfish interests, right? And selfish mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm doing it because it benefits me, right? Uh, my observation in the Philippines is that generally because there is this monolithic identity, right, which is so all-consuming, the mm -hmm. Filipino 
right? And yeah. it's so broadly defined that even you and I, uh, with vastly different uh, backgrounds, can be absorbed into this concept yeah. uh, that civil societies have a hard time differentiating their needs from the general populace. And that, that that's just that's that's sort of the premise of my question. That's what I'm trying to uh, get you to talk about, so we can compare between the Philippines and America. Okay, so I feel that there is definitely a lack of of civic engagement in the Philippines and and organizing because also there's poor. I'll be honest, there's a lot of poor leadership in in the Philippines, right? He, there's America has corruption just like the Philippines, but it's not as out in the open as it is in the Philippines. Amer and the thing about it is here in America too, I've seen that people hold a lot of their elected officials to, um, to high standards of accountability. So yes, we did have Donald Trump uh, and, and, that, and, and that was definitely a dark period for the United States, depending on who you're talking to. However, what I've noticed living in the Philippines is that it's so hard to rely on on leaders there because a lot of people who go into public office go into public office in the Philippines to serve themselves instead of serve the people. And then when a lot of these people in public office get caught in corruption scandals or doing something that's where there's a a conflict of interest or something that's very shady which is very common um filipinos also will just have the tendency to be like okay bahalana or and and just continue on with their lives instead of actually really fight for it but at the same time you can say that the people who have fought for it, have ended up losing their lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, so, but what, what, what makes you, do you, you think that that attitude is like a weird self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, we're apathetic towards the institutions of power because we don't feel we can change them, because we don't feel we can change them. We get progressively, well, not progressively worse leaders, but progressively mediocre leaders. Is it, would yeah. you say that that's an accurate assessment? I. For me, it is right. There's just a lot of absolutely mediocre leadership um, that's that's been in the Philippines for for generations, right? And a lot of me, as somebody who's left the country but keeps coming back, you know, I'm very hopeful for the Philippines, but there are times where I also feel that it you it's so hard to go against this institution of um, of inefficiency, you know, inefficiency and corruption and, and and red tape because it's just been so ingrained in in the culture uh, versus mm -hmm. um, and versus coming here and seeing all these other minorities and these groups organize and fight for what they have and and are given these resources mm -hmm. yeah that's the, that's the other thing that makes civil society in the u.s and civil society in the the philippines so different no and this is uh something that you can of course chime in on like these civil societies people are 
you know they're they're they are keen on pooling resources together. Like you mentioned, the Jewish uh, chambers of commerce that like to exert their influence. Like you know, we'll we'll put our money in the same pot. We'll put our money where our mouths are because we believe in this cause. But you don't you don't get that same sense of uh, shall we say uh, com- compatriotness, like or or yeah. uh, like collective loyalty to a cause in the Philippines, like. There's always this, this is the thing that I always, like whenever I talk about like a national issue or something, and I talk to someone, it's like, yeah, that's really important, but somebody else probably will get it. And then there's no, there's no investment that happens afterwards. Yeah. It's like a unique, unique to the Philippines probably, don't you think? I'd say it's very unique to a lot of third world countries. Yeah. He, uh, he speaks or... also for India, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Half of me is Indian. <laughs> uh, um, no, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Rami. It's, it's a very. I feel like a lot of people in the Philippines are not empowered to organize or even just put their, you know, put their money, their resources, and their time behind the cause, and and that's. That's because if you look at the history of people wanting to try to change um, change things for the better, they ended up they end up it they get they end up getting opposed uh, by the people in power. Right. Yeah, wait, uh, just just to bring in an anecdote for the listeners, Lucky, are you familiar with Tulfo? Yeah, I mean, I every once in a while I do watch the the videos on social media because it's it's um it's just enter it's ent- it's kind of entertain it's it's actually very entertaining. <laughs> Rafi Tolfo, right? Like uh, where people yeah, will yeah. where there's Wait, drama. Uh, let me let, let me let me give a let me give like a summary to the listeners so everyone understands because there might be people from America who are listening. So for for the benefit of the listeners, there's this guy. His name is Rafi Tolfo. He has a radio show where people essentially call up and explain their grievance, and then he essentially harasses the other side into submission by calling them up publicly on a radio show. Uh, the reason why I brought that up is I really find it quite funny because this is the way Filipinos legitimately think change happens. You know what I mean? Like they think that some strong man is going to step in and fix the problem for them, as opposed to like this uh, slow change that re- is required by organizing. So, like, what do you what do you think of the whole endeavor? Like, do do you find it entertaining, or is it do you see it as insidious as I do? I I, I mostly watch it for the entertainment side, right? uh-huh. um, and I also watch it from a just because. I, I think I, I love, I enjoy marketing campaigns and I love marketing projects. I think it's his type of show is, is knows how to pull and tug at the Filipino audience. Right. Very, yeah. uh, that, that I, I, he's become somewhat of like, you know, an, a really an internet celebrity in the Philippines that he, he knows how to capture Filipinos love drama, right? He knows how to capture that drama. He knows how to get these stories to tug at the 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 Filipinos who who end up wanting the, the Filipinos will end up wanting um wanting to reach out to him and and eventually I also have no doubt that if he, 
unfortunately, if he were to run for office, even though he probably has no experience in public office, he would win. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably would. Yeah. It's so sad. It's, it's, it's uh, But I compare him to Jerry Springer. That's like the best way to, to compare. Like, and, and Americans know who Jerry Springer is. But for your Filipino audience, Jerry Springer um, was a talk show host. Um, in the 90s here in America. And he he would get people who would have uh, problems with one another or especially when it came to, let's say, um, women who, who, let's say, have uh, a child with another man and the man is saying that, oh, that's not my child. And he, he builds up the drama. Right. And then there's or there's multiple men involved and he he gets them to fight on live TV. Right. And and it gets to a point where it gets it's very violent, but very entertaining. Right. Mm, and there's mm. like and there's a, sometimes there's a little bit of nudity. There's a lot of cursing. It's it was for me, it was so entertaining. That was one of the shows that I enjoyed watching every time I'd come to the U.S. to visit family. And but it was interesting because that's then what I that became my perception of Americans that I'm like, man, Americans are, are Americans have a lot of issues and a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Wait, but then it's, it's interesting that you make the comparison between Jerry Springer and Rafi Tofo, like because that's a juxtaposition I haven't heard. Uh, for me, what's really interesting is the fact that, you know, whereas Jerry Springer is probably looked upon derisively, like he's he's kind of like the butt of a joke, like I'm going to put you on Jerry Springer or yeah. you deserve to be on Jerry Springer. Tulfo yeah. is a legitimate threat in the Philippines, like, you know, like, <laughs> so if you think about it, like the difference in how we treat these kinds of celebrities who prey on like uh, these really base conflicts of like, who is the father who did you sleep with? You owe me child support. Like, uh, it, it really betrays something about the difference of opinion between Filipinos and Americans for, like, the approach to how to solve these problems, no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's... Uh, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, before before we get completely lost, maybe we should, because uh, <laughs> yeah, the Jerry Springer comparison to Rafi Tolfo is great. Maybe we can talk a bit about uh, your uh, Filipino Young Leadership Program and like, uh, you know, like because that's actually the reason why I invited you on the show. You know, because the general theme of the show is people who have found success with the Philippines. That doesn't necessarily mean they're in the Philippines, but you are unique in that you have tried to build this. A connection between the Philippines and America, right? Mm-hmm. And so while you are not in the Philippines, a lot of what you work towards helps the Philippines by creating business and uh, these kinds of relationships. So uh, why is it that you find yourself in this position where being American, you nonetheless still, you know, try to bring it back home? Even though I'm an American citizen, you know, I was born and raised in the Philippines and I I always still feel like my heart is in the Philippines. Right? My my I have family still there. My mother still lives there and chooses to live there. And and so it was actually I feel like a combination of my upbringing in Cebu as well as my upbringing from the Philippine High School for the Arts that made me develop this love for country, this love for being Filipino. 
And when I moved here to the United States, like I, as I mentioned, I got very involved with the Filipino American community, but there was always a piece of me that felt that I wanted to do something to bring about some sort of change in the Philippines. And so you're from, uh, you're familiar with the concept of brain drain, right? Mm -hmm. The best and brightest Filipinos leave the country for better opportunities. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's been happening for 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 decades now, right? And I feel like a lot of a lot of that is true. So Philpro is an organization that was actually founded by the former Philippine ambassador to the U.S., uh, Ambassador Jose Quisha Jr. He realized that there was a lack of engagement from the second generation of Filipino Americans. And when he had a meeting with a lot of these second generation Filipino Americans, a lot of them said, well, we're not, we don't really feel connected to the Philippines the way our parents are, right? Because they didn't grow up there or some of them have never even been back there. And so Ambassador Quisha ended up creating Philpro, the Filipino Young Leaders Program as an immersion program specifically to take high-performing, outstanding Filipino-Americans back to the Philippines or to the Philippines for the first time to meet heads of business, government, and nonprofit organizations out there. So we would meet the heads of, let's say, the Makati Business Club. We would meet the Ayalas um, as they were one of our, our sponsors. We would meet uh, American Chamber of Com the, the AmCham American Chamber of Commerce, and we would just have discussions and see how we could, with with our resources here, how could we create these projects or initiatives, they're called legacy projects, to better the Philippines or better the Filipino-American community. So when it comes back to the concept of brain drain, this is actually the opposite, which is brain gain, right? Instead of taking the best and brightest Filipinos, uh, instead of the best and brightest Filipinos leaving the country, now we're working with that next generation of the best and brightest Filipino Americans across the US and bringing them back to the Philippines to see how we could stimulate the economy, create social social change, um, social enterprises, nonprofit organizations, business initiatives. So that was the concept of the organization. And then during the change of administration, during the Duterte administration, the, we weren't sure if that program would continue under the Department of Foreign Affairs, especially since there was a lot of anti-American sentiment during that time. So a lot of the alumni of that program, uh, me being one of them, had decided to make it into a United States 501c3 nonprofit organization so that we could continue the mission of Philpro. Mm. So it was an embassy, pro a DFA program. Uh, and after the change administration, the alumni took it upon themselves to create it into an actual nonprofit organization to, co to continue the immersion program every year. And it's actually been mm. a fascinating program because we've gotten to get really outstanding Filipino Americans. I mean, during my batch, the one of the guys I met was a Filipino who worked under Steve Jobs who created the first Apple iPhone. 
And you know that, you know that, um, you know, if you have an iPhone, there's like, um, you know, there's the swipe to unlock, right? And you hear the click, right? That yeah. was actually his idea. You know, so they were told when he was creating that click noise, they were told, okay, when you unlock something, what comes to your mind? And he thought of his locker in high school. So he actually went to his locker in high school and recorded that sound. And that became the unlock, the sound for that unlock feature. Uh, okay. And wait, how did you get involved in this again? Because I'm not oh, seeing so, it. So with Foco, No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, know. I was just I, trying to be like, kind of so like, there's like Apple engineers and you, huh? <laughs> I know, right? I don't know why. I don't know why they chose me. I think it was more so because I've just been... I just put in the work in the community, right? So there's a lot of these uh, other outstanding Filipinos. Like another one is Nicole Ponseco. She owns uh, mm-hmm. award-winning restaurants in New York called JP and Maharlika, and she's written a book. She's an award-winning author, right? Another one is um, Jet Tolentino. He's the only Filipino-American Grammy and Tony-winning Broadway producer. Like very highly accomplished Filipino-Americans. And then there's me. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh so but then like so you you're 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 decidedly in this trend of like brain game where you're trying to yes. bring back uh can you can you try to concretize that what that is for the listeners and maybe let us in on what might be in the pipeline in the future for trying to you know bring the bring w- the talent that is in America back home sure well the Philippines has so much talent already Right. I just feel like having Filipino Americans who understand how, let's say, Silicon Valley works, right, and and bringing their expertise to the Philippines to be able to to create more jobs or create startups to to kind of disrupt certain industries. One of the one of the the recent alumni of Philpro. His name is Earl Valencia. He actually uh, was from the Philippines, start, uh, created the, the first incubator program for the Philippines called Idea Space. Right? Um, but he moved to the United States. And then when he got into Philpro, he decided to, to come back to the Philippines. And he partnered up with another Filipino alumni who was, a, uh, who was a former Google employee. And they mm-hmm. wanted, they are now solving. Uh, the whole credit issue in the Philippines. You know how a lot of Filipinos don't have credit cards, right? Like less than 10% of the Philippine population has a credit card. or Less than 10% credit. of the Philippine population has a bank account, I think. Man. Right? <laughs> it's not <laughs> <that> bad. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's that bad, right? So, But that's also because a lot of the systems in the Philippines are so archaic and so outdated. Um, and that sometimes it, it takes somebody on the outside to to create change or to bring about change, right? But we want that somebody on the outside to still be Filipino at heart or to still have that love for the Philippines, right? To still care for Filipinos. So long story short, uh, Earl Valencia, who partnered up with another Filipino alumni by the name of uh, Kevin Gabayan, they created a company called Plantina, which is to provide uh, store credit to to customers. Right. Mm. And, and and so they've already launched it in all the 7-Eleven stores. They've 
actually gotten featured on the U.S. Nasdaq as an emerging company. Like they're they started this company um, probably a year ago, less than a year ago, or a year ago, and it's it's gotten so much traction so far. Mm. And and so they've partnered up with with uh, the pharmacy networks in the Philippines, all the Seven Elevens. And it's it's their little way of trying to build that credit economy to teach Filipinos how to use credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the thing is, you you you're kind of like putting a lot on your own plate. You know what I mean? Because you actually are American. You work in America, and yet you are. Expending time, energy, resources to include the Philippines in this vision you have for yourself. Do you feel stretched thin at all? Like, do you feel like you're <laughs> asking too much of yourself? Every single day, every single day, man. Uh, in fact, every time. I mean, before the pandemic, I used to come back to the Philippines every four or five months because I had a bunch of different projects there, and it's, you know. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm a I'm a masochist, right? Is that the that's the term, right? When you you want to constantly hurt yourself, mm-hmm. um, because I I will go to the Philippines and try to start different projects and initiatives that I feel would make the make the Philippines better, or even just make Cebu better. Like I'll try to do small projects in in Cebu with um, with I just ideas that I have, right? And but the funding. I get the funding from from my projects in the United States, and I, I bring the money to the Philippines, and I try to start different projects. And there are a lot of times where I get burnt out, or I get scammed, or I get cheated, uh, and I keep saying, you know, what? I'm never doing business in the Philippines. I'm never going back, and, and so I'll leave. And then all of a sudden, five six months later, I'll be like, nope, I'm gonna try again, and I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna try to do another project, or I'm gonna try to try to find another way to attack this. Um, mm. Right. And um, but I think I think, again, it goes back for that love of 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 being Filipino. I mean, I grew up in Cebu and I do want to see Cebu flourish. Right. Eventually, when I have children, I would love for for them to also grow up there or have the Mm -hmm. ability, have the opportunity to 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 go back and forth. But there's. Go ahead. There's yeah, there's this thing though, like when you link, like when you do business across countries over the decades, like that can be a magical thing. But the thing is, you have to like really find the combination of a partner in the U.S. and a partner in the Philippines, or a partner in Europe and a partner in the Philippines. Yeah. That that really works. Like so for for us example, my my family's been in export for about forty years, and we got scammed a ton. You know what I mean? Like we found a buyer, and they they had no intention of paying us after the first shipment, but uh and like let's say a good third of them like had problems like that where they're like you know what I owe you ten thousand dollars I'm only paying six so, like that right but for the vast majority of the time it, so excuse me yeah it turned out okay it turned out okay and one tenth of the times it turned out okay it turned into repeat business right yeah. And it, I think that's like a really good representation of what it takes to find that continuing success across borders where, you know, 
a lot of the times it's it's spinning the spinning your wheels and you're not really sure where you're going but when you find someone who you can do business with it's magic it's yeah. magic you know what i mean i mean i feel like mm -hmm. that's the whole analogy of of life too right or even business it's about having that grit it's about not giving up right F failures are meant to happen and what's interesting is um so i don't share this very often but i actually uh, a few years ago, while I was in the Philippines, I had a business partner in the U.S. who ended up um, cheating me out of the business. I was in the Philippines and I didn't know that uh, she was, we are 50-50 partners in our, our business and it was doing very well. Um, and while I was out of the country, I had found out that she was embezzling funds from the company. And so when I had confronted her about this, she ended up changing the ownership of the business and removing my name from the bank accounts uh, in the US. And I didn't know about this because I was still in the Philippines doing all these other projects that one day I couldn't access my bank accounts. And then I found out from my accountant that um, she had changed a lot. She had basically changed all the incorporation paperwork, committed fraud, and it was such a big blow to to me, not only financially, but um, just emotionally and mentally that mm -hmm. I for, for a year and a half, I I wasn't making much income, but I also wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I invested so much time, resources in building that company that uh, that my business partner all of a sudden, you know, scammed and she need, cheated me out of um but i decided eventually i decided to go out again spend more time with other entrepreneurs and i found out that that was actually a common theme that some of the most successful entrepreneurs that i've met um have told me similar stories that that was actually just a uh, kind of like a, a rite of passage for them that they did have business partners in the past who would screw them over but they've learned from it. And I have to agree with them that right now I'm in a much better place, but had I not, you know, it's, it, it sucks that it happened, but now my paradigm has changed that had I not, had I not uh, been cheated by that business partner, I would not, I now know what to look out for when it comes to doing business deals or when it comes to partnerships. Mm. I'm a lot more careful now when it comes to making business decisions. Mm. I, but yeah, uh, like when it came to the fraud, like you know, uh, how do you how do you eventually get over it? Because that's like a really important lesson that I think a lot of people will never get to experience because you know they most people aren't inclined towards business. Like, what did how did you get yourself through it? Because you know that that first betrayal is huge. Like I had yeah. it happen to me in the business. Like I found out that an employee had embezzled half a million pesos. Wow. And I was I was devastated. Like yeah. I was it's crippling. I really it's, it's very yeah. crippling. Like you, you have a hard time trusting after, right? You have a hard time trusting people. It keeps you up at night. You start thinking, wow, like I've I've you you you've I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but like I, I keep Go saying I'll, I'll I'll say wow I've I really fucked up. I should have I should have done this, 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 and this to, in, to prevent her from 
committing all this fraud or prevent her from from stealing the company away from me right and but i was just like oh i'm i was so trusting of her and and so what helped me to be honest was was time as well as having a support group of other entrepreneurs who told me that that was normal that was natural because i thought that it only it could only happen to me i thought that i was the only one it could it it would happen to but the more i started putting myself out there again and networking and just sharing being vulnerable and sharing my experience with other entrepreneurs a lot of them told told me that that happens a lot that happens a lot and that that's just part of the learning process mm. uh so but aside from so this ill-fated restaurant and enterprise and uh your involvement with the community what other businesses are you part of i think i think there's one uh that you haven't brought up yet the one that's a subscription uh service for uh the creative services yeah so i think us as filipinos right we're we're one of the most highly creative and talented people in the country especially when it comes to graphic design as well right when it and so i i'm also involved in a business mentorship program called ace next gen which is part of the national asian pacific american chamber of commerce where they teach asian american millennial entrepreneurs on how to grow and scale their business and one of the teachings there was about the whole 80/20 rule that uh, when it came to 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your effort in a specific thing and so i started thinking about that and i l- assessed my business my my marketing consulting business for the asian american community and the common theme was graphic design a lot of our clients required graphic design whether it be social media graphics web banner graphics um uh brochure and uh flyer design um graphic design for websites so i realized well why not create a separate entity solely on just graphic design and and that way we could actually scale it up and so i and it this goes back to finding the right partners i partnered with a childhood friend of mine who i've been friends with actually before i was born because our parents have have been very close friends and i trusted him and i i knew that i could rely on him and i knew that he couldn't he would never screw me over because there was that bond between our families as well and mm-hmm. he had a small graphic design company in cebu where they were doing graphic design um for a lot of uh the buildings and hotels for signage right and so we had a conversation and we started talking about hey would you would you be interested in servicing in US clients and he loved the idea so we started brainstorming of how we would structure the company and we realized that if we wanted to scale a business you need constant recurring revenue unlike our current business model right now with Chicago Asian Network where we're very project focused we do a lot of community and virtual events and so with that business partner in Cebu we 
started a company called Content Blend Studios, where we ended up creating this graphic design subscription agency. So mm-hmm. where we would target smaller businesses, solo entrepreneurs, and nonprofit organizations, and provide them with unlimited, essentially unlimited graphic design services where they could request as many graphic designs as they would like and pay a monthly subscription fee. And so that's our, our newest venture and newest startup. Um, that's mm-hmm. still in the small infancy phase, but we're hoping to, to grow that business to a larger scale. Mm. Well, you know, it, it's not it's not terribly different from like the multi-billion dollar industry that already exists in Cebu, you know, which is the uh, the business process outsourcing. Mm-hmm. So I believe I believe you are particularly knowledgeable because you're half Indian. So, you know, like being a BPO agent is probably in your blood. Uh- <laughs> well, being Filipino and Indian, totally, totally such a BPO agent. I love being the BPO person. <laughs> You should just have you should just walk around with the headset with the microphone all the time, like just to really let people know that you're oh yeah, he's Filipino and Indian. Uh, but uh, Zige, before we uh, we cap off the podcast, uh, I just I just have one more question. This is a question I ask everyone, right, regardless of what the content of their interview is. What, what are your plans for the future? Like you, maybe let's say the next five years. Like where do you see where do you see your career, these different business enterprises, the community organizing? Where is it all going? So my goal is to make enough money where I can actually do more to give back to my community. Right? My goal is to make enough money where I can say, ah you know what, I'm going to spend more time in the Philippines and I'm going to try to get create more startups in the Philippines and advise them or, or invest in their startups in the Philippines. I think there's a lot of talent and creative minds in the Philippines, but the, the issue is that they have a lot of, there's a, they don't have the resources to, to funding capital as well as mentorship. I've, I want to be that bridge uh, to help more Filipinos in the Philippines disrupt the Philippines for the better. I think that's my overall goal. That's one of my biggest goals. Is, But I know that I'm not going to be able to do that until I have reached a certain amount of, of wealth or financial backing. So I think I see myself in in the next five years, I would see myself still going back to the Philippines and trying to help really shape the Philippines for the better. Um, my, mm. you know, one of the things my mother does is she's a professional development coach. Uh, she helps people, managers, CEOs, and even employees become um become better selves through a lot of coaching and training. And, you know, I, I want that as well for the, and I think that's where it comes from. It stems from is that I want that as well, but from a more from an organizational level for the Philippines, Um, you know, there, and through that, just because of that, you know, I feel like there there would be more flow of ideas and information and resources that could really just make the Philippines a better place and then hopefully eventually change the mindset where people can start 
focusing on electing better people in public office, better politicians, holding politicians accountable. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially setting yourself up to be Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about Superman, but that's always been the dream. But I know that I can't do it alone, right? I'm going to have to... It's going to take a large community to do it. It's going to take friends like you. It's going to take friends from 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 the United States, friends friends from all over the world and Filipinos from all over the world as well, right? To make something like this a reality. And this is not necessarily a lucky project, right? My goal is not to say, yes, I did this all by myself. My goal is to be able to to get really, to be the guy who connects people together to make change mm-hmm. happen, positive change happen. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. That's always where I've seen myself. Well, yeah, you know, that's like, and I, I, I confess, like, that's that's part of the reason why I'm starting this podcast, because I want to, like, create this discourse, you know, like, it's so frustrating that people just generally don't, right? Uh, and, but, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. but that's, wait, what do you mean, generally don't what, though? No, I mean, uh, there are people like you and me who, you know, really want to make their lives about helping the Philippines, right? Or at least a good chunk of our lives about helping the Philippines. You know, there's that there's that room to be selfish, the things you need for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's hard for us to find each other. Like you know, most of us through decide that ultimately it might not be worth it just because there's no community of those people who are like-minded, who have that same interest. And so, uh, yeah, that's the truly tragic thing that a lot of these good intentions are wasted, right? That's yeah. something that you know, like this this podcast, hopefully, right would would help with and I, just like you do with uh, the Phil Pro program right that's just another project which gets people together and tries to get get us moving you know yeah mm. i mean really it's 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 about creating that community right and, and again mm-hmm. it starts with just organizing or you know my type of organizing is just hanging out with people and having a beer having a bite to eat <laughs> and just talking to them and then seeing where the night goes and seeing what they're passionate about and then finding out from there, okay, how can we work together? What can we do? What problems mm. can we solve? Mm. Mm. Okay, Lucky. With that, uh, I'd like to cap the podcast there. Thanks so much for coming on, man. It was great to have you. And I'm sure a lot of people will find everything that you said absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, give me, I hope that you're going to keep doing this podcast. Give me another three to five years and I'd love to come on again and be like, you know, when we first did that first podcast, this is what we've been able to do now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that implicitly, I'm probably going to bring back all of the, the guests that I've had on because all of them say something like that. And, you know, I want to be able to call the, a few of the other ones out on their bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, okay. I did, I did, hopefully, I didn't have too much myths. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, t- talk to Lucky in five years, man. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Thank you very much, everybody.